Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related topics. I'm your host, Nice One, and joining me today is my co host, Blues. Welcome back to the show, my brother. Of course, always glad to be here. All right, and we have a hell of a show for you guys today. We've had a lot of interesting Nintendo news that dropped over the last few days, but earlier today, the ESA announced that E3, the annual video game trade show, was canceled due to fears of COVID-19. But even before today's announcement, E3 2020 was shaping up to become a disaster. Today, we want to deep dive into everything that was wrong heading into E3 up until its eventual cancellation and what that means for E3's future. But before we do any of all of that, we're going to go ahead and slide into the Powered Up news. And for our first news story, man... We have some collaboration news and something I am mad excited about. Y'all already know, I like to rock my Nintendo swag. And Nintendo has pretty much teamed up with like one of the oldest, best American icons when it comes to clothing. They've crossed over with Levi's to bring a very awesome Super Mario collaboration. And bro... Have you seen some of the gear that they have announced? They have a pair of Super Mario overalls. I overalls. know. The overalls we, were cool. We have wanted this for decades. They are finally coming. Uh, according to you know the press release, we're going to be getting some of the following. We're going to be getting trucker hats, T-shirts, hoodies, jeans, and, of course, the overalls. We're getting bag uh, bags like backpacks and fanny packs uh, and bandanas. And I believe in one of the pictures we saw a scarf. All of this is very sick. Even denim jackets. Now, if Levi's trying to bring the denim jackets back into like popularity, I'm all about that. I used to rock me some denim back in the early 2000s when it was like very popular. I'm excited about this collaboration. They've got like great Levi's is an American classic, right? I, I, no. I don't think we can argue that. They've been going strong for what nearly a hundred years, more than a hundred years, like. Yeah, I'm excited about this. All this looks great. I, you know it's going to be mad expensive just because <laughs> Levi's in general, because mm-hmm. they are so established, they are expensive. But, yo, this is it. Like, this is the top of the line when it comes to collaborations. Now, a few years ago, Nintendo did something with Vans, and that was very slick. Uh, some of the best sneakers I've ever owned was those uh, NES controller-style Vans. But this is a step above that. Like the quality that you're going to get with the Levi's collaboration. Oh my God. So on point. I don't think the clothes have gone on sale yet, but as soon as they do, you already know. I'm getting me a pair of the overalls. I'm going to get me the denim jacket. I might grab me a few hoodies, t shirts, hats. I'm going to do the whole nine yards. And of course, I'll be rocking them here on the Nintendo Power Zone podcast. What are your thoughts on this crazy collaboration? So, I mean, first things first, uh, I worked for a rival jean company, American Eagle. So I I feel like a bit of like beef that Levi gets this, but that's just the personal like beef I have as a a loyalist to American Eagle. Um, I wish we got it instead. I, I, (laughs) American Eagle, dropped the ball. Just saying. Um, but, uh, yeah, Levi's, they do have good stuff. Don't tell my boss. I said that, um, (laughs) They the the actual clothes that we saw like the overalls and things look really nice better than I kind of would have expected, um. So, but they're probably going to be like a premium price too. Oh yeah, 
I'm looking at the like the overalls right now. I'm glad they went with like the dark blue denim instead of like a faded denim. Like for the denim jacket, they went with like the faded look, like the wash, the wash look. Here for the for the uh, the overalls, all straight up deep dark blue, very reminiscent of Mario. I love this collaboration. They've even got a print of jeans that are Mario themed from top to bottom with Mario characters. So you got bloopers, Toads, King Koopa. Uh, Peach, Mario, Luigi, Yoshi. Like, if I'm gonna post these all here on the videos for you guys, because these are truly epic. I love this collaboration, and I love it when Nintendo does stuff like this because this is the stuff I wanted. Wanted, you know, back in the early '90s when Mario Mania was the biggest it could ever be. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have stuff like this, but you know. Now, as an adult, I have the expendable expendable cash that I can go ahead and rock this. And yeah, I may look like a freaking idiot when I'm rocking it, but I'm going to look like a super weird, fun idiot who's enjoying the shit out of himself. I'm wearing this to Super Nintendo World. I'm buying this stuff. I'm going to buy extras of this stuff specifically so that when Super Nintendo World opens, I can rock a specific pair just for that. I'm going to wear the overalls with my power-up band with a Mario hat and look like a jackass, but I don't care. I love that. I do think that I liked the Vans collaboration more than the Levi's collaboration personally. I owned the Donkey Kong uh, low tops from the Vans, and those were really nice. I grew them, though. I'm really upset. <laughs> like, my feet stopped growing for, like, years and years. Then, like, the past, from, like, my senior year of high school to my sophomore year of college, just grew like eight not eight sizes four sizes probably i'm 13 and a half now i was size eight when i got them so that's like five and a half sizes i grew yeah i'm a size 10 and i've been a size 10 since like roughly the 10th grade hmm. yeah so i love this collaboration though like i will say this the designs aren't as um they aren't as in eclectic as what we mm -hmm. saw with the Vans collection. Yeah. Like I had a lot of the, fine. I bought like every hat that they released every single one. So I know the designer that, that they use for the shoes that you're specifically talking about. And well, I think that design, like there was a lot more like design quality there mm -hmm. for this one. We're trading in the design quality for quality, quality. Mm -hmm. Like This is Levi's. This is one of like the top like denim brands in the world, specifically America. And this is so cool. It's I mean, overalls. Like, if you want to get into rankings, American Eagle is the top jean company brand. So. I'm just saying, Levi's Levi's has the uh, the history behind it. All right. Also, we're getting freaking overalls. So, <laughs> yeah. Halloween costume acquired. <laughs> All right. So, moving on, I want to go in mm -hmm. from one collaboration to another collaboration. Now, we don't have as much information about this one, but we did get a cool little video. So yesterday, uh, which was March 10th, or Mario Day, for everybody who doesn't know, uh, yesterday, Lego announced a collaboration with Super Mario, and they showed a video that highlighted a minifigure of Mario, but this is a very interesting minifigure because there are digital components to this there's like an led uh question mark block in his chest that was spinning and he had a digital mouth and i don't know what this means for the minifigure is it actually a minifigure or is it going to be 
bigger than your standard minifigure? What are the minifigures about an inch, 1.5 inches tall? I believe. Probably. Yeah. Maybe even smaller. Like maybe that much of my thumb. You can see that. Yeah, it's they're they're super tiny, but the video itself, it's like a 10 second video. But in that, you get a lot of little details. Even the eyes appear to be digital. And the tweet from Nintendo of America says, something fun is being built. Stay tuned. Hashtag Lego. Hashtag Lego Super Mario. At Lego underscore group. And then Lego responds with, it's a me, Lego Mario. Stay tuned. And that's pretty much all we have about this collaboration. Now, this isn't the first time that Mario characters have been used in building block style figures. Uh, a few years ago, I guess it was back in 2011, uh, they had a deal with Connects, which is like a rival uh, brick builder. Not really a brick builder, but let, we'll just call him a brick builder. Um, kids construction toy. Kids construction, yeah. So, and with that, they did a Mario Kart set. Um, I have a few of those play sets. Um, they were fun to build. I really like the tracks because you could build the carts and then you could actually add a battery pack to them that would actually allow them to self-drive uh, to an extent. And they would just go around in little loops and fun carts. And they had a lot of cool aesthetics where like you could have thwomps and like other power-up items and crash your cars and do all this. They're fun sets, um, really expensive. The problem is I know Legos typically run more than connects do. Mm -hmm. So I expect whatever Lego sets they do build to cost an arm and a leg. Now, one thing I do want to point out is don't expect Mario Kart sets for this collaboration because they're doing a collaboration with Hot Wheels for Mario Kart and their play sets are super extravagant, super expensive, but man, to see those little die cast cars with little Mario Kart characters, they're awesome. I am super excited about this just because as a kid, Lego was one of my top five toy lines. And I think for most people, it's the same. Um, my question is now, does this mean we're getting an official Lego Super Mario game? Because if that's the case, we have some interesting stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, so it's the first thing I noticed in the video is that it's, kind of weird for a minifigure because minifigures just have like much smaller heads and more like rounded off shoulders this is like a giant brick of a mario yeah it's super blocky mm -hmm. it, it makes me question the overall size of it like mm -hmm. from what i can see i'm i want to say this is at least four inches tall mm -hmm. just based on like the components that are here like i'm seeing digital eyes digital mouth and obviously that digital chest plate piece with the spinning mm -hmm. question mark block and like you mentioned, the proportions are way off for a minifigure. Like, that this could is just really stubby, too. For a video. That could be like a fake one for a video, and then it's actually just like, boom, like that. I really hope not, because I've watched this video like a thousand times. And I've grown to actually kind of really like what they've done with this minifigure. Even the legs. Like, it doesn't even have like standard minifigure legs. They're like so like, they're almost like just feet attached to like his bottom. <laughs> That's actually accurate, though, yeah. Um, it's like when he's before he's like Super Mario, almost. Mm, yeah, I can see that. But so, sorry. Um, wait, I lost my train of thought. Shoot. <laughs> oh no. Well, I really oh yeah, I'm. <laughs> I remember now. Um, I'm really glad to see Lego do this specifically because before you know we'd always have like, like why were they so hesitant to go to Lego? They went to Connects. 
first. Pokemon went to whatever company they have their Pokemon. Oh, Mega Constructs. Mega, Mega Constructs, yeah. Which used to be called Mega Blocks before that. Okay. And, I mean, and that's just a byproduct of the Pokemon company being allowed to make its own like toy deals, mm-hmm. which in the last few years, I believe that they've really dropped the ball by first off removing the Master Toy license from Wicked Cool Toys and uh, from Tomy and moving to Wicked Cool Toys. The Pokemon toys have gotten a lot worse since that transition. Also, we're not getting a lot of the cool accessories that we used to get from Tommy, like the uh, the bands and the bangles and the Pokedexes. Yeah, the Pokedex, all the cool like uh, role play stuff we're mm-hmm. not getting, or the stuff that we are getting is way worse quality. Yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised that Pokemon Company would go with Mega Constructs because they want to make the most amount of money for the least amount of, of effort. You know, with Lego, Nintendo's probably not getting as much money from this collaboration as Pokemon gets from the Mega Constructs deal. This is probably a can like the Nintendo Lego deal is probably more like a 50-50 split where like I mean, Pokemon can be like, hey, we want like 60% of the profits from this just so you can use our license. That's fair, but I so when I see those Pokemon toys in the Mario Kart Connects, I'm like, well, why would I get Mega Blocks and Connects when they're like I see Lego, I'm like, yeah, easy. I'll buy I'll buy the Pokemon Legos, I'll buy the Mario Legos, but Mega Constructs Connects, I, I'm just so the brand just does not have that pull. Like I think Lego in the does. '90s, in the early '90s, Connects had a better like grasp mm-hmm. of marketing and advertising for sure. Because I had a, I had a little bit of everything. Well, minus I had Mega some Connects, Mega I had some Mega Blocks, I didn't yeah. have, but I had a lot of Connects uh, in the early '90s. So I already had that brand recognition. Plus, the IP was enticing enough for me to want to make that purchase when they got the Mario Kart license. Now, unfortunately, it didn't get any further. It, it By the time it got further than just Mario Kart, like, the line was near its end. Mm-hmm. Like, when they finally started just building, like, traditional castle sets and whatnot, yeah. they were like, it, it's almost done. You could tell it was almost done. Looks like they maybe extended it just so they could get one or two castle sets out, which, you know, it's fine, but, like, not the most innovative. Like with Lego, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that they're going to do so much more. And again, why are these collaborations so important? Just the Levi's one and the Lego ones. It's because a few years ago when uh, – uh, I, I forgot his name. Former president of Nintendo. Satoru Iwata? Iwata. Wow. I'm going to hell. Yes. Iwata – had made a, a few statements saying that we need to diversify what we do with these brands. We want to make them global brands, not just video game brands. And what are they doing? They're they're completely taking that into account. Now, now we have a theme park coming out. Now we have these awesome clothing collaborations coming out. Now we're getting some high quality toys because when it comes to high quality, I don't think we can diss Lego for the way they make their toys. Unless you've happened to step on a few, then you curse them all damn day. <laughs> but no, these, these are high quality collaborations with some well-established brands. And that's what's really important because now we're getting Mario and other Nintendo characters into the hands of people who are 
not just feeding off our nostalgia for these iconic characters, but they're giving us products that we've probably wanted for decades. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how much I've pro- I've always wanted like a Lego set for Mario or some Agreed. clothing, some high quality clothing for these characters. And I hope that this opens the door for future collaborations. Like, can we get some Levi's Cross Legend of Zelda or some Levi's Cross Splatoons? Yo, for real, Splatoon is the one brand that is super open to doing a ton of collaborations with. And it's cool that Mario's always gonna start these type of things, but I hope it means later on down the road, we get better collaborations with with IP that it makes more sense with. Because mm-hmm. I think doing something with Splatoon, which it's still a relatively new IP, but you start to do more crossovers like this, you've just expanded your market. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. Splatoon characters are all about being fresh. So let's like, go ahead and get it done. The Splatoon art style and aesthetic and graphics, whatever, can be so good in clothing. There's so much potential there, and I love that. Yeah, that's the one thing I feel like they've underutilized with Splatoon mm-hmm. is its real-world parody. Like, they don't make enough Splatoon merch. They don't make enough Splatoon action figures. They don't make enough Splatoon uh, clothing. Dude, you have a whole market to have, like, some real-world parody. If you release yeah. a shoe in the game, find a shoe manufacturer that is willing to take that shoe design and do it. Remember, there was a collaboration with, with Nike, Nike yeah. specifically in Japan, one that super pissed me off because we got nothing like it here in the States. But wasn't that reverse? We got a it Nike sneaker that got put into the game. True, but there was still some type of parody there. True. Like yeah. I, I want the I want the same level of parody um, mm-hmm. that they have for you know in Japan here because it makes sense. So these Fair. these types of things, these type of collaborations are super important to the overall business model for Nintendo because we are we're, we're entering new realms. We have a movie coming out for Super Mario Bros. We have theme parks opening up all around the world. These type of things put Nintendo at the forefront, even more than maybe the games, which in turn will be like, hey, I have good memories of these characters. I want to go and play some of these newer games. That's what all these collaborations do is you buy the clothes, you think about the games. You th- mm-hmm. think about the games, you want to buy the clothes. It's parody. And, and these are cool collaborations that that will benefit Nintendo in the long run. Any For additional sure. thoughts? And they're just cool to have. Like, it's so nice having these collaborations. Just that they exist is nice. Like, I probably won't be able to get more than, like, a T-shirt from the Levi's collection, honestly. Um, but just the fact that I know that this happened, there's these awesome clothes that just represent Mario. Awesome. Be able to get these, you know, Lego sets awesome so it's just simply having the knowledge that exists is great because like you said like as a kid i would have loved to have a lego mario but it never happened my only fear with these types of collaborations is the cost Mm -hmm, for sure the only thing that like that make me worry because again these are premium products premium yeah by premium brands uh specifically the legos like i some of those Lego sets, man, they're like $100, $200. I really hope my kid does not get a Lego obsession. I can't afford it. <laughs> you know what, though? I had one. I would have spent I did. hours upon hours building Legos, and my dad would help me. Some mm-hmm. of the best memories of my early childhood were me and my dad putting together, you know, classic Lego castle play sets. And that's the other thing, too. Like, 
some of those old castles were really neat. They had like the working draw bridges, draw bridges, trap doors and stuff. So much possibilities for Lego to build an amazing Bowser castle playset. Mm-hmm. Even a Princess Peach's castle when you know with like some of the clear plates to do like the Princess Peach stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. My mind is in overload thinking about how cool those Lego sets can be, but I'm just overall concerned about what the cost for those things mm-hmm. could be because I imagine that the bigger play sets run you anywhere between a hundred to hundred and fifty dollars. Easy, yeah. That's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our final topic. And this is probably the biggest news up until the news that we got today. Mm-hmm. Reggie Fizeme has been appointed to the board of directors for GameStop. Now, GameStop has had a few bad years, not in terms of like same store sales. Those have actually increased, but in terms of like the company as a whole, it seems like it's hemorrhaging money and they've had multiple CEOs quit like in very short time spans. There was one CEO who literally quit within a month of his appointment as CEO, which that means bad stuff is happening to GameStop. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie, as we all should know, former uh, president of Nintendo, uh, he has a penchant of turning dying companies around. If you don't believe me, in the 90s, Reggie was appointed as the CEO of Pizza Hut. And that was during a time when Pizza Hut was doing really, really bad. And under Reggie's tenureship, Pizza Hut went from being your standard fast food pizza to becoming one of the largest global pizza icons in the world. So Reggie understands like marketing and how to turn companies around. But on the on top of that, his tenure at Nintendo, at Nintendo has allowed him to become very well-versed in the sale of video games. Mm-hmm. And I do believe Reggie has a lot to offer a company like GameStop because as much as I have a somewhat disdain for GameStop as a brand, I think it would be bad to lose the one chain we have left that specifically caters to bringing video game and video game culture to the public. Um, so I, I just want to also mention that Reggie's the reason why indirectly Jersey Shore exists. So also think about that. That's true. <laughs> he also was the president of VH1. Thank you. I forgot about that. He actually Wait, turned VH1. VH1. Was he MTV? Well, no, VH1. No. But oh. VH1, he, he was the catalyst of making VH1 a bigger, bigger thing than what it was. He started bringing like some of the live action shows that we saw, like the real world. Mm-hmm. He started putting stuff like that on VH1, and that actually increased the viewership of VH1 to the point where now we get two music channels that don't show music anymore. Yeah, um, but that's that's a side tangent. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think one, it's it's kind of strange, specifically GameStop after retirement because like if you want to retire and then join a board of directors for something understandable but like GameStop is gonna need a lot of work well like, to be fair Reggie isn't the only member that was appointed mm-hmm. to the board of director um Fair. they actually announced uh two Stenic. other 
Uh, so we have uh, it's Simon and Sinek, right? Yes, yeah, Simon and Sinek. Uh, to the board of di- uh, directors. Sinek uh, worked up. He's the CEO of Walmart, or at least was, or maybe yeah. still is. And then uh, the Simon is, is like, Pets.com. They, yeah, oh uh, yeah, Pets.com. I thought it was PetSmart. Maybe both. I don't know. Basically, yeah. Like, deep, basically, with PetSmart, um, what's what's interesting about his appointment is that again a store that caters specifically to the needs of one type of consumer. Mm-hmm. This is important. These are important are important appointments because two of these members of that that have been appointed are coming from realms where they only dealt with like one type of of marketing area with Mm -hmm. petsmart or pets.com whichever one it is i'll find it later pet owners have very specific needs and the things and wants for their pets and gamers themselves have very specific needs specifically nintendo gamers like we don't always want the same thing that other you know gamers want one like ps4 xbox owners so i think we're getting two interesting perspectives and being the ceo of walmart just means you're the ceo of one of the biggest global brands of all time that like there's a walmart every mile you drive that's actually true by the way for every mile you drive you should see one one walmart i used to work for them in the early 2000s and that's something that they proudly make you learn Jeez. Um, this is what they had to. This is what GameStop specifically had to say about Reggie's appointment. Uh, where to go? Okay, Reggie is an accomplished media and technology executive who brings more than thirty-five years of experiencing transforming companies, revitalizing brands, and reshaping industries. From two thousand six to twenty nineteen, he served as president and COO of Nintendo of America Inc. During his tenure, Mr. Fizme focused on the development and launch of the industry redefining products, including the Nintendo DS, Wii, 3DS, and Nintendo Switch, quadrupling the company's revenue from 2005 to 2010. So, apparently, the Wii U is not revolutionary technology. <laughs> so, like, the best. It lo- I actually read the wrong quote. Where'd the quote go? No, no, no. That's actually the quote. So, they have, like, they actually have, like, a, uh, high opinion of Reggie and what he's been able to do uh, for the gaming industry as a whole. And, you know, it's kind of nice to see Reggie kind of move into this role. Personally, on a personal note, I think Reggie moving into this type of role is really beneficial, not just for GameStop, but for the industry as a whole. To know that somebody as accomplished and well-regarded as Reggie is in charge of of, uh, making decisions at GameStop That'll give a lot of developers, publishers, and console manufacturers confidence that they can trust GameStop going forward. Now, how long this trust will last depends on what kind of moves are made at GameStop. But I think we can safely say that GameStop is in relatively safe hands with the three men that have been appointed to to this position as uh, members of the board of directors. Now, keep in mind that being a member of the board of directors is a much more limited role than any role that Reggie has previously had. He'll be in charge of like having like final say of like major corporate decisions, but at the same time, we also have to keep note that he's not the guy making the decisions. He's not coming up with the game plans. That's those those kind of roles are for the you know the executive members of GameStop staff, 
and Reggie kind of has like the yay or nay vote. So mm -hmm. much more limited role. So he's not really like squandering his retirement by going to work, you know, as a board of directors for GameStop. Okay. Um, plus, I'm pretty sure he only accepted this role because it is a far more limited role than the one he had at Nintendo or Pizza Hut or Procter & Gamble or VH1. Wow, Reggie's a very accomplished man. Like, if you look at the companies Reggie's worked for, man, this guy, extraordinarily accomplished. Um, So, I mean, I think we can all agree that just losing the only uh, video game retailer left would suck. Um, But more so than that, I'm kind of thinking, like, now is a bad time to lose GameStop. I was hearing people talk about, oh, GameStop's going to probably going to declare bankruptcy, you know, January 2020, and of course it didn't happen. But I was like, yeah, they're not going to make it to the end of the year. It's like what people were saying. And I'm like, well, they have to because X, Xbox Series X and PlayStation uh, 5 are coming out. That's like, if they can't even hang on till then, then they're just losing out on that. And it also hurts the console sales for those. And it's just going to not look good for anyone. So that can also be a potential saving grace for GameStop. If those consoles just all fly off the shelves and Nintendo Switch flies off the shelves and all that, like we might see some, you know, inf influx of profits. I don't know, uh, of GameStop. You uh, know. To, just to clarify, uh, Simic was the, uh, he is, currently on the board of directors for PetSmart and Chewy.com. Chewy, um, okay. So both of them pet-oriented webs uh, one, one website, one actual brick-and-mortar okay. store. Uh, and uh, Bill Simon uh, is the current uh, board of directors, uh, currently on the board of directors for PepsiCo and Nabisco. Okay. So these are very accomplished men. Like, these are men who run, like, conglomerations. These aren't just men who like don't know what they're doing. Like these are good hands for GameStop to be in. Um, I agree with you and your point that it is a bad time to lose GameStop because we no longer have Toys R Us. Mm -mm. Imagine your only option of buying video games being Walmart and Target, Amazon well, and well, digital well, download. Again, but then there's the whole. The, the problem you can't browse I, the shelves on Amazon. Yeah, the problem I've always had with Amazon is the lack of what I want when I want it, mm -hmm. right? That That's something that Amazon just can't do for you. If you want something on the spot, you can't get it from Amazon. You got to wait, and I'm not a patient man. I'm not. I'm just not. I have always preferred to go into a store grab my stuff, have the anticipation of opening it on the ride home, getting home, plopping it in my system. Now, to be fair, it's like, well, what about digital games? I'm also a guy who enjoys having a physical collection of things. I like having my games in a place where I can look at them. Like, if you look at my game, my Switch case, all my games are in the order of which they were purchased. Wow. Not alphabetical, which I purchased, which gets a little confusing when I have to remember, like, when I take one game out and so, or somebody, because my brother borrows my Switch games all the time and he doesn't put them back the way he found them. Talking to you, Militia. Uh, I always have to go back and, like, which game did I buy first? Which game did I buy second? You know, it, it gets tedious. But, yeah, I like having that. 
I mean, yeah, there are some games that I buy digital just because I have to or the hassle of going out for the store. But I do like my physical collection. You should have seen the trouble I went through to get Final Fantasy X, ten two physically. Jeez. And you should have seen my disappointment when they didn't release Final Fantasy VIII physically in America, but they did in Europe. That was really annoying. Um, but so I'm I'm kind of versed in marketing a bit. I've had to take a fair bit for my my degree, um, and I know for a fact that. Uh, the biggest and most important step in market research is defining the problem. And so I think the problem for me personally with GameStop is that I have no reason to choose GameStop over any other of retailer. So, you know, I just bought Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Rescue Team DX. Uh, and I got it from Walmart for 52 bucks. After I that. did the same. I yeah, did the GameStop, same. it's full 60 though. Uh, you know, I could have gotten it at a similar price if I at GameStop if I had used like my uh, trade in or points. You know, my reward, that five dollar monthly reward that they oh yeah, that they killed the previous rewards program mm-hmm. for. Um, the powered up rewards. Powered yeah. up rewards. Yeah, I missed the old one where you could like basically stack like your mm-hmm. reward on top of your coupons. Yeah. Um, no, that was nice. Like the loyalty program is one of the nice things that GameStop has, but it's not gonna save it here. It's actually gotten worse over the last few years, at least in my area, because my area is a test area. So they do a lot of things that I don't agree with, where, like, one store I can use, like, my $5 off once per month, but in other stores I can't. So I have no idea which stores I can do what at, Mm -hmm. unless I've been to them previously, which is annoying. And another thing is that a lot of (laughs) – my biggest problem with GameStop is the condition of which things arrive two games stuff. I don't just buy video games. I'm an avid collector of anime statues and Funko Pops. And GameStop just does not know how to get those things in in a way that is conducive to me being happy as a collector. Um, I'm really hoping that uh, this company can turn itself around because losing GameStop, it may not seem like a big deal. Um, but again, Look at how look at how much the industry has changed without Toys R Us as an option. Mm-hmm. Toys R Us being gone has really shifted the way that I make my purchases. And I'm not necessarily happier for it. I miss Toys R Us and the ability to walk into their game section, which in most cases was fairly big. And having that the option of seeing like scores upon scores and knowing that Toys R Us always had a game that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I don't always get that with Walmart specifically since Walmart underprices switch games by like 10 bucks, but they not only do they underprice them, but their shipments of, of those games are really low. And GameStop has this penchant of only ordering pre-orders for Nintendo games, which they don't do that for PS4 games. And they don't do that for Microsoft games. They only do it for Nintendo games. Like, yeah, we're only, we're only going to order what we pre-ordered, which flies in the face. I don't always want to pre-order a game. Not that it's like so difficult to do it. I just, sometimes I just don't want to do it. Sometimes I just want to wait because I don't always know if I'm going to purchase the game. Sometimes I listen to reviews to help me make that like final push. With Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, I bought that and I saw that the reviews were horrible for it. But I was like, I love that game. 
I'm going to buy this game in spite of the reviews. And I did. But I did it at games at a, at Walmart where I knew I would find it the cheapest. Mm-hmm. I think this is really good news for GameStop. Hopefully, this is a way for the company to turn itself around. Because I really don't think I want to live in a world where two of the biggest video game retailers no longer exist. Because I, I just I don't want Walmart to and Target to be my only options. I don't want Amazon to be my only option. I don't want Best Buy to be my only option. And even Best Buy is like kind of a crappy option. Mm-hmm. You think an electronics retailer would do a better job of you know stocking mm-hmm. video games, but they just yeah, they their shelves are always bare. And they killed the gamers club, and it's like, why Best Buy? Why even go there anymore? <laughs> Honestly. You know what, though? A lot of companies have gotten rid of their, like, game rewards program. Remember, Amazon has at, like, $15 off it, like, launch day. Yeah, you know, well, that was if you had Prime, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they stopped that, and I'm pissed about that, too. Yep. First, they killed it on Amiibo, and then mm-hmm. they killed it on games in general, which sucks. Best Buy got rid of their gamer club. GameStop keeps screwing with their powered-up rewards, which now I don't even... I'm, my subscription ends in like four days. I'm not renewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unless Reggie's appointment there can severely change the course of what's happening, I don't see myself, you know, buying any, you know, buy, you know, renewing that subscription, buying anything else from GameStop. Right now, the only thing I'm getting there are pops in and collectibles. I haven't bought a game from GameStop in over a year. Yeah. Which is sad. Right. Mm-hmm. When GameStop didn't get Final Fantasy X. And I was like, you're GameStop. This is not even a new game. You're like, yeah, you know, we, we only got like pre-order numbers. I was like, you didn't order any extra. Nope, we got like five pre-orders for the game, and that's all we ordered. I was like, screw you. Ended up finding that at Best Buy of all places. Luckily, the Best Buy and the GameStop where I live are like, half a mile like, like half a mile apart. So that made my life super easy in that sense. All right, but with that said, that's our news. I know it's a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I think we got some good talking in there. I think it's time that we go ahead and we move into our major topic. This news broke today. Now, when I started working on these show notes, I had no idea that today's announcement was going to like completely shift the way we spoke about this. Today, the ESA announced that E3 2020 has been canceled due to fears of COVID-19. Before they had even made this announcement, E3 2020 was looking like a disaster. We had prominent members of the media refusing to go to E3. The creative directors of E3 quit three months before the show was about to begin. And on top of that, the big three companies, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, have little to no presence at the trade show, period. E3 2020 was shaping up to be a disaster. On top of that, fears of COVID-19 or the coronavirus have altogether shuttered the company. Today, we want to talk about all the things that led up to this disaster up until its eventual cancellation. And I want to start with the big three, starting with Sony. Sony announced back in January that they would not be attending E3. And this was the second year in a row. They did not attend last year. But I think it was more 
egregious this year because the PS5 is coming out and we haven't had a good look at the system. Like E3 used to be a place where you would showcase the system. That was your reveal. Everything up to that point was rumor and speculation. And E3 was where you highlighted the console. It exists. This is what we're working on. These are the specs. These are the games. This is your spectacle. And Sony said, we're not doing that shit. We are out. E3 does not... The vision of E3 isn't right, is the direct quote. The vision of the show isn't right. That says a whole lot of... It says so much. It says that even before we knew any of the trash that was happening, executives of these major console manufacturers are like, this isn't going to work for us. This is bad. Uh, Microsoft is also not directly at the show. They were going to host their own event, I think within a mile radius of where E3 is actually being held, but they weren't actually going to be at the E3 event themselves. They were doing their own thing. I don't remember what it's called, but they wanted to do their own thing. And Nintendo, while they have a show floor presence, they haven't held a press conference at E3 since 2012? I don't know. I was thinking 11, but maybe 12. I know, you know, I think it was. When did, whenever they showed off the Wii U. The Wii U. Well, uh... That was the last stage show they yeah, had. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had a direct they had a Nintendo Direct the day before E3 that showcased the system and highlighted it. The next day, all they did was focus their show floor was on games. And they closed out that E3 by showing uh what is the name of that game where it's like a theme park? Nintendo Land. Nintendo Land? Yeah. yeah. They sp- that like they closed the show by showing Nintendo Land. And that was the last time Nintendo had a stage show at E3. Now Granted, I think it was a good for Nintendo. It made sense because obviously the Wii U, not the console Nintendo wanted it to be. I've said this on a number of occasions, but the Wii U was a stopgap system, and it makes sense to view it like that because it one of the shorter lifespans for a Nintendo console, five years. Really, only four because once we knew about the NX, as it was then being called. The Wii U was effectively dead. Um, so Nintendo pulling away from that and doing like the digital showcasing at E3 was a much better way for them to showcase their games and then spending their time at E3 doing the Treehouse Live events. Brilliant move by Nintendo. Takes a lot of the pressure of having maybe games that don't showcase too well. Like uh, that one Wii Music game. Oh yeah, that showcase very terribly at the sh- during the show floor. Um, you don't have debacles like that, or you don't have like the thing where oh this is, like when you know a video game company brings like a vertical slice of a game, and then for some reason there's a glitch in the game that decides it only wants to show its ugly head during the stage show. Like uh... control of that, and only showed you what was perfect to showcase. Yeah, uh, Skyward Sword had a lot of technical difficulties when they first showed it. Oh they, yeah, the yeah. bug, the the beetle. Oh, that well, was... just motion controls were just weren't working for it. Like they just could not get the motion controls to be accurate during the stage show. Yeah, I. Know. So, so by by moving away from E3 and doing like the digital showcase or the digital presentation, Nintendo took a lot of control back for themselves. 
But at the same time, I think that's like the first step in watching E3's crumble, demise. Not not necessarily demise, but watching it looking at it looking at it decay slowly. Because from that point on, I believe E3 has slowly begun to decay. Now a few years ago, E3 opened itself up to the public for the first time. And that completely changed how the showcase, the trade show felt. And I believe that was one of the biggest missteps in E3 um, was allowing the fans to have a presence at E3. Now, I don't think it's like a terrible idea to have some fans there, but I do believe the way that they did it was bad. But again, um, for a little while, Sony was doing its own thing with the PlayStation experience. And that seemed like a way for Sony to pull away from E3. I don't believe they hold the PlayStation experiences anymore. Um, now that now uh, Sony is doing the state of play, a monthly Nintendo Direct uh, clone. Basically, they just show off what games they have coming in the near future. And it works. And it just goes to show that maybe Nintendo had the right idea instead of having a stage show and putting themselves out there, they would control what what is shown, what is seen, and what announcements they make in a, in a better way and, a, and in a nice, clean package. I think that's the one thing about a stage show that you, you can't underestimate is stage shows can go horribly wrong. They're live. And we've seen that on, on a number of occasions, uh, specifically from the console manufacturer. Now, mm-hmm. it's weird that Microsoft, out of the three of them, them having some type of stage show but doing it outside of the E3 venue, mm-hmm. that's the one that really bugs me because it's like it's sort of like a half commitment to E3. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, I, I, I knew that once Sony pulled out for the second year, we were in big trouble. Uh, any additional thoughts on the big three's presence at E3? Um, what presence? Uh, who's showing up to E three? No one was. Now it's canceled. Uh, no, but um, I I think it's a big hit to E three, and there's been a lot of missteps also, like the fans. And I think you had a great idea with the unspecific fans, and Ubisoft does that. They have like they invite like five or so super fans to just go to E three. Only five, and they're like the really dedicated, you know, influencers, streamers, and just big fans community members, whatever. That's a great idea, but just allowing it to be public was a mistake. Nintendo's not there. Sony's not there. I didn't really see the Microsoft thing as being like a half commitment. I just sort of thought they were, like you said, doing their own thing. Like they have something else in store or Microsoft doesn't view Sony and Nintendo as the competition. They, they're doing Google and Amazon. So they're going to try and like go closer to where the stadia is holding their stadia press conference i don't know <laughs> is there gonna be one this year probably not E3's canceled, i don't think stadium will last another six months they're gonna they're gonna just have it around no one's gonna make games for it it's going to just exist and then two maybe three four yeah four years yeah four years we're gonna see like oh x cloud leaves beta and amazon's gaming device and oh yeah, remember Stadia? We're gonna make games for it again. <laughs> Stadia too, or it's like something, you know. So, I think that's probably what's gonna happen with Stadia. Um, as far as it now just being canceled, 
Uh, I had a big E3 prediction I was going to make, and I will now have to say it here because I, <laughs> I don't know what else to do. So uh, everyone's you know lineup for their conferences. Microsoft, they're there. They're showing off the Xbox Series X. And they're like, all right, so now let's get show you guys some games. And, you know, they show Halo. They show Gears of War. And then... And then you see some overalls. You see, you see a red shirt and a hat. Mario, the new 3D Mario game, is coming to Xbox Series X. It's going to not be Nintendo exclusive, not be Xbox uh, exclusive, but it's going to be on both systems. Yeah, I don't see that happening anytime. I know they have a good like. Level. <laughs> I just don't see that. It's it's near impossible. Like Nintendo is not going to give them that. But it's the perfect way for Microsoft to get the edge over Sony on this one. If if you're looking at the two systems, you're deciding, mm, I could get an Xbox or I could get a PlayStation. You know, Xbox is they got the yeah Mario though. Like I kind of like that. It's for the consumers that don't really want a Switch. If it, if you're only looking at those two, you're never ever gonna get a Switch. This one has Mario though. <laughs> uh, people, if people want to play Mario and they have a Switch or they're interested in a Switch, they'll get the 3D Mario game on the Switch. Let's be real here. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective, but Nintendo's not going to let them, they're not going to let them have it. But I don't know. That's my prediction. It's, I like going for those really left field predictions. If it's not left field, I'm not predicting it. Well, I want to go ahead and move into our next like major dropout of E3 because Mm -hmm. I think this one might hurt from a personal standpoint. Jeff Keighley, uh, who is an industry veteran, uh, posted in a tweet that he would not be attending E3. Uh, This is what he specifically had to say. For the past 25 years, I have attended every Electronic Expo Entertainment Expo. Covering, hosting, and sharing E3 has been a highlight of my year, not to mention a defining part of my career. I've debated what to say about E3 2020. While I want to support developers who will showcase their work, I also need to be open and honest with you, the fans, and about precisely what to expect from me. I have made the difficult decision to decline to produce E3 Coliseum for the first time in 25 years. I will not be participating in E3. I look forward to supporting the industry in other ways and at other events in the future. This is Jeff Keighley. Mm -hmm. Jeff Keighley, while I do think he is the biggest dick rider in the industry, like the way he blows Kojima really gets on my nerves. Dick Rider's a word. I was just going to say a big tool, but <laughs> he is kind he's of a, still tool. a good guy. Yeah, I'm a, but he's a guy who who has shaped his career on like being like the guy who brings you the information mm-hmm. at E3. Like, I, I, when I think of Jeff Keighley, I think of two things I think of E3 and I think of the Games Awards, the Game Awards, two important uh, times of the year for gaming in general. Like, you can say what you want about the Game Awards and, and what it is. But we get a lot of important reveals there, and we and we it really how ha- you know games get the recognition that they deserve, at, and during the, during that event, it's a platform to support games. Jeff Keighley's you know declining to attend E3 says a whole lot. Now he did say that the vision of E3 again, second second group of people we've heard say that the vision of E3 isn't right. That's mind-boggling. What is the vision of E3 that Sony says this isn't where E3 should be? And Jeff Keighley is like, this isn't where E3 should be. 
what is what is going on now i know they said that they wanted to have like these like entertainment cues where like when you waited in line to play a game like you would have some kind of experience so that waiting in line wasn't the tedious boring thing that it can be and that they were going to really focus on influencers and celebrities and whatnot which is a weird concept for e3 but okay whatever you got to do to spice things up right but now we're hearing that these people are saying this isn't the right vision for E3. This this isn't where we need to go. This isn't how we should be shaping the industry. This isn't how we should be showcasing and highlighting upcoming consoles and games. That's a scary thought. What was E3 looking like to these men and women? Like that they just declined to be there altogether. It, it makes sense to me that that's what uh, Sony says. But Jeff Keighley, I feel like, was kind of on the same vision as E3 already was. when he He's like the guy that does the Game Awards. And when I see E3, you know, oh, Ubisoft's doing another musical number. EA's doing another celebrity guest, you know. And then I look at the Game Awards and I see, oh, Green Day's playing. And, oh, Vin Diesel's announcing an award. Not just that, but they use like the last 10 minutes to highlight a crappy Fast and the Furious game. Oh, yeah, this is going to tie into the movie franchise. But but it's still the fact that they're focusing more on celebrity appearances and concert songs, performances, whatever, uh, than the games and even the awards mostly. Like, they just sort of like had a lot of the awards crammed all together in the first bit or were cut. <laughs> and it's like, well, why give us Vin Diesel then? <laughs> so does it sound like... Green Day. So from, from what you're saying, it makes it sound like Jeff Keighley is beginning to view E3 as somewhat of a direct competitor to his product. I mean, that wasn't where I was going, but you're right. It kind of is. But I, I feel like if, if Jeff Keighley doesn't like the vision of E3, why is the Game Awards that same? They think they're the same vision. Maybe so, it's because, like, and Game Awards is a an awards to, show. Yeah, an awards show, a time to Which, celebrate. Uh-huh. A time to celebrate the industry, whereas E3 is to highlight and showcase the best mm-hmm. and upcoming that the industry has to offer. And maybe therein lies the biggest difference that, like, this year's E3 didn't seem like it was going to do that. It maybe, mm-hmm. maybe put the industry in a place where it's like, this is actually going to bring down the way people view E3. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird though. I mean, it's not that like E3 Coliseum was like the biggest thing that you know came out of E3. I mean, we got some cool interviews from developers. Reggie always made an appearance, and we saw some cool stuff. But it wasn't where announcements were being made, like. Uh, for the most part, IGN and a few other like uh, and GameSpot and a few other uh, websites broadcast uh, f- streams from these companies uh, doing their actual stage show, which is the most important part of E3, right? Is the stage shows and the announcements that get made during these stage shows. Again, now we know Sony has no stage show because they have no presence. Microsoft is doing their own thing. Nintendo doesn't do a stage show. So what we're left with are Bethesda and Ubisoft's stage shows. Those are like the two... EA, Activision. EA and Activision. Like, those are the, the stage shows that we have. And to be fair... Knicks. Not a lot of... Oh, yeah. Really. 
Capcom doesn't really do it. No, they don't. Um, Phoenix does though. Yeah, Capcom kind of showcases things during their Pro Fighter series. Uh-huh. Um, so I think the big three not being there really uh, having any presence uh, is painful. But then knowing what we have left from the other companies, like I, I do think that the Bethesda press conferences are usually pretty good highlights. Uh, Ubisoft can sometimes be hit or miss. Uh, it kind of just depends on like what IP they're bringing. I think mm-hmm. uh, last year's was a little. Last year's was a little lackluster, specifically for Nintendo owners. They didn't really bring anything for us Mm-mm. last year. Whereas the previous two years, they showcased Mario Rabbids and then Starlink Battle for Atlas featuring Star Fox. Now we know one of those games went on to critical acclaim, and the other went on to the bargain bin. <laughs> But I it's like still a great game. Alex, screw you all. Um, I think specifically what I like the most about seeing Ubisoft's conferences are the new IPs. Like, seeing Starlink, seeing Rabbids, seeing that new Gods and Monsters gets me more excited than Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, Tom Clancy. It's like, all right, Just Dance. I knew that was coming. It's coming every year. Oh. Don't need to tell me about it. Before we go on any further, I do also want to make mention that E3 isn't the only event that's been canceled due to fears of coronavirus. We also recently saw the cancellation of uh, GDC, which South by Southwest and South by Southwest. And I'm really, really bummed about South by Southwest because friend of the show Blake J Harris was going to be premiering Uh, documentary at that event and. Now, I think we're just going to have to wait for the official release during uh, uh, CBS during the CBS All Access. And they haven't announced when that's coming. Mm-hmm. So I really feel for Blake in this instance because uh, it's just a damn shame. Like, he's worked so hard on this documentary. It's a shame. It's to been not- the last couple of years of his life. Yeah, like six years. He spent the last six years of his life working on this documentary while writing two books. Yeah. Like – I, 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 I mean, the guy's not hurting. Let's, let's be let's be 100% real. He's really not hurting financially. He's doing extraordinarily well, and he's in a great place in his career. But at the same time, to see that he is not going to be debuting like this project that he's worked so hard on, it's got to hurt a little bit because this was his showcasing for it. Uh, I, I feel for his hard work, not his finances, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's um, the distinction. So – Jeff Keighley out. The big three mostly out. And now we have to move into probably the most egregious of people pulling out of E3 2020. This one is the one that boggles my mind. It truly does. Because up until this point, what has the major complaint from Jeff Keighley and the other companies been? The creative vision for E3 isn't right. They've said this multiple times. And who drops out next? The show floor creative team, I am 8-Bit. The people who are creating the E3 2020 experience pulled out three months before E3 is is set to happen. This is terrible news. Like, It is your job to make E3 2020 what it's supposed to be. And you're pulling out? So this is what I am 8-Bit has to say. 
it's with mixed emotions that I have uh, I am 8-bit has decided to resign as creative directors of what was to be an evolutionary E3 2020 floor experience. We've produced hundreds of gaming plus community events, and it was a dream to be involved with E3. We wish the organizers the best of luck. What the fuck? Abandoned ship. Yeah, but <laughs> ship that you were the, this is the ship you were building. I mean, I, I mean, abandoned ship mentality. But if you're building the ship, the ship's not even touched the water yet. Like this isn't like the Titanic hitting an iceberg. This is before they even plop the damn boat into the water. It's still being built. I mean, this I feel like does happen a bit more in other in other landscapes. Uh, I know my sister uh, worked for like a political campaign, like the campaign manager just left, you know, a month into the campaign or like, uh, you know, right. They've gone through like four or three, I don't know, different campaign managers. And it's like, well, why do they keep jumping ship? <laughs> and it's like, so it's kind of, it happens more than you would think more often. It doesn't make sense, even though it's like, it hasn't even happened. Like, I don't know. I don't get it, but it happens more than you would think. I don't know. So, I have a real problem with I am 8-bit leaving when they did. Mm -hmm. so I, imagine, it. I, I imagine that a trade show as big as E3 is massive and hard to pull off. I, mm -hmm. There's no way that it's not difficult to do. But the timing of them leaving... It instantly put the trade show in a lot of jeopardy. 90 days, roughly, we have until E3, correct? More or less, yeah. So we have 90 days. Do you know how hard it is to do anything of scale in 90 days? It's difficult. Like, it's difficult. I've had school projects that were due in 90 days that I barely completed up until, like, the last moment that they were due. And I would be working on them diligently. I imagine something as big and as expensive as and important to the industry as E3 was a massive undertaking. For them to leave with so little time left, first off, I think it's it's erroneous of I think it's a erroneous, the wrong word. I think it's it's an absolute tragedy what they did. Like it left, you know, the people in charge of E3, the ESA, it left them in a place where it's like how do we salvage this with the time that we have remaining? It's almost impossible. The, this They dropped out on March 5th. It is March 10th. Is it any surprise that five days later that E3 as a whole was canceled? I do, Look, I understand that the nation and the globe, the world, is under fear of the coronavirus. But I do believe by June we'll probably have a vaccine. Look, I'm not I'm not guaranteeing this and I'm I do believe that we have men and women smart enough to come up with a vaccine by the time E3 was to roll around. Uh, you know, and I do believe that E3 could have been salvaged had it been allowed to you know, run its course. I think they could have done something. Maybe it wouldn't be the best E3 experience. It might have been one of the worst, but it's still an E3 experience. Um, it makes sense for South by Southwest to be canceled because it was supposed to be this weekend. Mm 
Mm-hmm. There's, there's no vaccine right now. There's, there's no like great preventative measures to prevent, you know, to, you know, against COVID-19 or coronavirus, however you want to label it. It makes sense for GDC to be canceled again, same reasons. But I think there's enough time between, you know, now and E3 that, you know, the men and women in charge of like working on, on vaccines and, and preventative measures, I, I believe they're smart enough to accomplish this. And if they're not, then we should probably be scared. But I don't believe that the men and tra- the men and women in charge of that are are stupid by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but again, I believe the timing of this put the ESA in a place where it's like we can't do this. We don't have enough time. Them leaving completely fucks us over. Like, yeah, and it puts me in a place where. I have to wonder if anybody will trust I am 8-Bit to do anything else going forward, knowing that they had a chance to define what E3 could be going forward or and what and definitely what E3 would have been this year. It puts them in a place where like, do you trust I am 8-Bit to to be creative directors for any other type of event? I certainly wouldn't, knowing that they pulled out three months of this. I think this might hurt the I am 8-Bit brand. Personally, but like I said, I don't believe that it's any, I don't believe it's coincidence that five days after the creative directors quit that the press conference is canceled. I, I think that the ESA, the ESA smartly deduced that we're fucked. We can't build this show in three months. We don't have enough time. We can use the coronavirus as an excuse to get out of this disaster. We can get off this sinking ship and we can either make plans for next year or we can just stop doing E3 altogether. And that's the danger now. That's the danger now that I think we need to get into. Now that the ESA has officially canceled this year's event, what happens going forward? We've already seen that the the big three have reduced their presence. They no longer... Um, they no longer represent E3 the way that they used to. They don't have the same kind of presence. They don't bring their reveals there. Every single one of these big three companies has their own uh, digital way of showcasing new products, new games. Nintendo has the Nintendo Direct. My, uh, Sony has the State of Play. Microsoft has whatever they call what their thing is. They, they all have digital showcases that they highlight their games on. Mm-hmm. E3 has become severely antiquated because of the advent of the internet and the way that these companies can reduce, uh, I'm sorry, produce information and release it to the public. E3 was already in danger, but now we're looking at all these things coming to a head. It's like the perfect storm of, of bullshit, and it makes you wonder. It makes me personally wonder. Is there an even is there even a place for E3 going forward? So bouncing off of that, I think this would probably be the nail in coffin for E3's future. Because without E3 2020, all the other companies that still attended and had a presence at E3 are going to do their own thing online, have their own direct format, whatever. They're 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 just gonna do it themselves in their own time. And they're going to say, wow, this is a whole lot easier. We look, it's less expensive. 
Let's just do this from now on. And then no one's going to show up to E3. Uh, it's more or less how I see. I can see like a stubborn company. Like I feel like Bethesda's stubborn enough to at least like, you know, <laughs> E3 doesn't officially happen. They're going to like rent out a theater in California around the time of year to do it. Like I think some stubborn companies might just like do the thing at the same time of year live because they do it. I don't know. But I think as far as E3 goes, this was the nail in the coffin. And it's definitely I am 8-Bits doing. It's it's not the coronavirus. It is it is I am 8-Bit. So you use the example of, you know, 90 days to finish a school project. I feel like that's a smaller scale because assuming it's not a group project, that's just you. And you don't have to, like, be responsible for anyone else. This is a whole team of people doing all of this event coordination. There's so much coordination specifically that goes on. And, like, you can't just screw people over like that. It's the kind of way I see is, like, the two leads for a play or a musical, just the night opening night say, no, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And all of a sudden, there's no understudies, and there's no one to to be the two leading roles. It's like, what do we do? It, you just screwed over the entire cast and crew of a, of a play, essentially. Granted, they usually have understudies, but let's say the understudies just can't do it either. I don't know. And you just leave them high and fucking dry, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. So the ESA put out an official statement today. Um, I want to go ahead and read this statement because mm-hmm. it's important to hear what they actually have to say because I actually I speculated that the reason they canceled this I, – I just already said it was that because it was a sinking ship and they wanted to use the coronavirus as an excuse. Um, But this is what they officially had to say. After careful consultation with our member companies regarding the health and safety of everyone in our industry, our fans, our employees, our exhibitors, and our longtime E3 partners, we have made the difficult decision to cancel E3 2020 scheduled for June 9th through 11th in Los Angeles. Following the increase in overwhelming concerns about the COVID-19 virus, we felt this was the best way to proceed during such an unprecedented global situation. We are very disappointed that we are unable to hold this event for our fans and supporters, but we know it's the right decision based on the information we have today. Our team will be reaching out directly to exhibitors and attendees with information about providing full refunds. We are also exploring options with our members to coordinate an online experience to showcase industry announcements and news in June 2020. Updates will be shared on e3expo.com. We thank everyone who shared their views on reimagining E3 this year. We look forward to bringing you E3 2021 as as a reimagined event that brings fans, media, and industry together in a showcase that celebrates the global video game industry. That's the official statement. Again, I'm willing to bet that this is the official statement because it needs to be the official statement because they don't want to say that this event has been an unmitigated disaster since January. Mm-hmm. I think, so going back to your argument about coronavirus vaccine will be by June, which I think is very possible too. Um, so vi- so specifically in that statement, they say they're going to just refund everyone. It's not happening. Take your money. That's expensive to them. And they have to coordinate all that. That They're taking a huge profit loss when, when even if, let's say coronavirus doesn't even like get a vaccine or it's still kind of like a, a fear, you can delay it. If, if it's just the coronavirus, you can delay E3 and save money. You better have to like accommodate people who got tickets and things and be like, oh, well, here's this gift card, I don't know, or something 
trap, like, I don't know, but like you can accommodate without having to give a full refund if you delay it. And that's doable. You take a lot less of a loss. But the, the issue that strikes me is that, well, they didn't delay it because there's, <laughs> I am a bit, there's, there's no reasonable delay you can give now because it's just fucked. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing. Like, let me say something. I've been following E3 since 1995. And to do that back then was difficult. The internet was not widely available. We had to wait a couple months to find out the information that was showcased at E3. Um, we'd have to wait for video game magazines like GamePro and uh, EGM to cover these these things. And Yes, those were those would be my favorite issues of those magazines because it's like it's fucking Christmas in the pages of this giant ass magazine. We don't have that anymore. Now the internet is so prominent that we've been able we've been spoiled by being able to stream E3. Mm-hmm. And E3 has been so important from the moment that streaming became a, a viable option to E3. It's been spectacular. It's like you don't have to be there to get the E3 experience. This is the first time that that E3 experience is in jeopardy. And Mm -hmm. like you said earlier, it's a bad thing to lose GameStop right now. It may not be as bad to lose E3. But E3 is where we go to find out what the next year to two years of our lives as gamers is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Like, The problem with the digital showcases that the three companies are doing is that they're very focused on the immediacy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's nice to know in advance what's coming. It's nice to know that hey, we not we not only have games targeting that are targeted for the immediate future, but we have games in development for the next few years. That's what's important about E3, not just to the the consumer, but it's important to the people who fund these games, the people who invest mm-hmm. in these companies. That's what E3 is really for. We, we we treat E3 like it's specifically a fan event. That's not the case. E3 is not really geared towards fans. E3 is geared towards media and investors. Mm-hmm. It allows investors to know that their money is being put to good use and will hopefully become profitable. Not being not having E3 as, as a venue to showcase this, it's gonna hurt investor confidence because now they don't necessarily know that their money is being put to future projects. They're only gonna know about the here and now. They're not gonna know. I'm sure I mean I mean I'm certain there are venues and ways for, for games, you know, video game companies to showcase these things to them, but you lose the gauge, right? The mm-hmm. fans. And the media are the gauge. For sure. Right? The the level of anticipation and excitement that we have for these announcements really gauge what the investors think and whether or not they want to continue to invest in these companies. Mm-hmm. That's why E3 is important. That's why losing E3 this year is an absolute fucking nightmare. Not just to the ESA, but to us as consumers and to, and to you know the industry, the media as a whole. Because now, what does the media cover? Do they cover these little vertical slices that of digital presentations? Unless these video game presentations are intending to showcase the same content that was going to be showcased at E3, 
it makes a big difference. And trust me, knowing that they don't have the same kind of pressure to showcase the, if, if E3 is in fact some kind of digital presentation, like they said here in the official statement that they want to do, does that mean companies can change their plans? We don't have to showcase what we're developing two, for two or three years from now. We can just showcase what we need to showcase for the immediate future. Complete, the industry is completely shifted by this. This completely yeah. shifts what the industry will showcase. It is scary. It is scary to know that E3 is going to die like this. And that's the other thing. Now we have to wonder about the future of E3. We saw that this year blew up in the face of the ESA really bad. This was an implosion. Mm -hmm. Does the ESA, will they consider this a worthwhile endeavor going forward? Because this, like, like you said, this is a lot of coordination, which mm -hmm. we saw this year, the coordination completely fucked up. This is a lot of money. They're gonna have to do full refunds to you know members of the media, members of the per, uh, members of the of the of the other communities. I don't know what kind of financial uh, detriment this is to investors. And the, as far as you know, you talked about the the engaging audience interest and hype as the start of a new generation. E three was the time to get the new console hype. So losing that specifically for the new generation, I think, is going to be a big hit. And that can even indirectly affect, all right, so let's say, you know, Xbox Series X didn't get a whole lot of hype. That can affect, you know, X, Mike, or GameStop. You know, oh, no, these things aren't flying off the shelves. What do we do? And also the developers that make the games for them and Microsoft themselves. And so it can be an issue for sure. Yeah, it, it, it just makes me wonder, what is the... What is the incentive to produce future E3s if they can't get this one off the ground? I have to think that a year without E3 opens up the door for no more E3. Whatsoever. Especially E3 this big for the new generation specifically. Because then, then you're just missed out and it's like another lackluster E3. Like, oh, just Elder Scrolls 6. Whoopee. <laughs> you know, it's That's all about the things, not the hardware then. Even bad E3s were fun, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they were. There was the always music at least was one, fun to laugh was, at. There was always at least one game that caught your attention in some way. Mm -hmm. I remember in 2014 when they when Nintendo highlighted Splatoon for the first time. I immediately fell in love with what I saw, and that was a bad E3. That was not a great yeah. E3, specifically for Nintendo. That was a very bad E3, but. They showcase Splatoon, and that's one of my favorite IP that Nintendo has now. This is a bad time. This is mm -hmm. this is this is a bad time for the ESA. Like they're already under a lot of scrutiny for so many other things, like uh, loot boxes and whatnot. But losing this, this is bad. I. It makes me wonder. Like, I would love to hear what some of the you know the 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 top you know the top heads of these. You know, video game companies have to say about the overall loss of E3. I imagine that like this is somewhat of a blow to them. Maybe one they they could have expected, but I I I don't think that this doesn't hurt the game industry as a whole. You know, maybe it's a minor inconvenience, but maybe it's something far worse. 
like, we don't know. We're not behind the scenes. We don't know how these companies are going to deal with this. But we do know that this probably hurts Nintendo a little bit financially because they always build these very extravagant displays. I mean, they built a city one year. They built they built a section of Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Like they build they they build these amazing set pieces to to showcase at E3. Mm-hmm. And whatever big game Nintendo was planning to showcase this year, <laughs> I I feel bad. I, you know those were being designed. It, what do you say? Just stop building it. You lose the money that you spent um, starting it. And- I'm sure they can host something similar for those places to go. Like they could say, "Hey, Nintendo World Store," or like another pl- conference or something, like or a con booth. Put their things there. This is it. Like if they went to PAX, put it up at their PAX booth. I don't know. So, personally, I personally think that this is it. This is it for E3. If this mm. year's E3 doesn't happen, I don't see E3 happening next year. The year after, I think E3 is officially dead. Uh, as I, I said earlier, all these companies have their own ways of presenting new consoles and, and new games. I don't think E3 is relevant anymore. And officially losing this event, that's it. This is the nail in the coffin. It is, this, is, yeah. this is the nail in the coffin for E3. And... uh Originally, when I wrote these show notes before the official cancellation was announced, I had a topic that was asking, is this the end of E3? And if not, how can it be saved? I I scrapped this one because it can't be saved. This is the end of this year's E3, and I don't know what you can do going forward to fix the problems that this year's E3 had to make this a trade show that people want to attend again. Not much. Rip E3. It's it's kind of <laughs> not happening. No, it's dead. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, I hate to be the guy that just officially like says E3 is dead because I don't want it to be dead from a personal standpoint. I love E3. It's my Christmas in June. This is this is the year, this is the time of the year that I am so excited for that we do we do multiple episodes surrounding e3 we have our prediction show and then we do our and our post show coverage and i don't know what we're going to do for this time of year unless the esa and the game companies can announce something some kind of like digital event that really coordinates everything um all together which really kind of just bumps me out i mean I am so disappointed. I just, I am just so disappointed. I don't know where we go from here. But yeah, I, I'm gonna declare it. I'm gonna declare it here and now. E3 is officially dead, and uh, I think the industry is worse off for it. Um, but with that being said, I think we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna wrap this episode up. We've been going for almost two hours. So, yeah, guys, please. Let us know what your thoughts are on on the death of E3. We we are. I really want to hear what you guys have to say because I f- I feel like we should all be more sad than I think a lot of the reaction has been. Seen a lot of like joking, uh, but I think if you really sit down and think about not having an E3 this year, it should bum you out a whole lot more. 
Uh, but with that being said, we're going to go ahead. We're going to get out of your hair. You can hit me up on Twitter at Nice1983. You can email me at Nice1983 at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. If you're a fan of the Nintendo Power Zone podcast, you can always download new episodes on iTunes, Google Play Music, stream new episodes on Spotify and Stitcher Radio. But if you want to watch the live version of the show, you got to check us out right here on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. Blues, go ahead and hit them up. As always, follow me on Twitter at VKingBlues. Uh, blues has always spelled B L O O Z. Um, as well as Twitch and YouTube, same place. All right, guys. Well, that's it for us. Thank you so much for watching. And remember to stay fresh. Deuces.